Hello, and welcome to the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. We're bringing together the best gaming leaders from across the Nordic region to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Melanie, and I connect businesses with talented freelancers in the gaming industry. Today, I'm joined by Sally, Marcos, and Victor. Before we get into the topic, let's just work our way around the room with some introductions. And uh, Marcos, if you'd like to go first. Sure. Hello, everyone. My name is Marcus Bartolov. I hail from Finland, uh, from this um, games company called Fingersoft. We are best known for Yogi Climb Racing franchise, which is a casual racing game with over 2 billion downloads today. Nice. I, my position is CMO, so Chief Marketing Officer. Lovely. Victor? Hi, everyone. My name is Victor Macy. I am the CEO of Tayman slash fantasy platform for esports consumers, and it's called EcoApp. I am from Sweden, where the company is based, and I think that's that's that. Yeah, very cool. Nice. And then Sally? Hello, my name is Sally Blake, and I'm the CEO of Silent Games. I've been in the game industry for about 11 or 12 years now, and we are based in the UK, and we're making a sci-fi fantasy RPG game. So yes, please look forward to it. It's looking like it's going to be good. Lovely stuff. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordic's Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading-edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right, so now that we've established like who you guys are, um, let's get cracking. So everyone has a question regarding the effective approaches to the management of startups. And we'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and also the context behind it. So everyone will have the opportunity to give their take on everyone's questions as well as their own. Um, so let's start um, with Marcos and your question, please. Sure. So my question is, how do you approach the scoping of your projects? And um, as context for this question, well, this is like a huge big question of uh, any startup because there's always limited resources and uh, especially like the scope of the project, it oftentimes might be that if you scope it right, it might bring uh, innovation, but at the same time, oftentimes like the failures from projects, uh, scoping is also the main culprit. I, I really love this team and it's like, Whenever discussing this topic with anyone at any game conference, there's like millions to learn. So I think it's a good starter. And could Victor start this time? Sure. Uh, so we're a team of five people, uh, tight-knit team, all based in Sweden, sharing an office space. And uh, obviously it can get heated because not every time will you get your priorities to be the next priority for the team. Uh, and what we tend to do is, so we have... Uh, Bi-weekly, we have sort of priority meetings uh, in the full team to discuss what has happened for the uh, actual historical two-week period that we've gone through and what would we want to do for, for the next two-week period. Before that, obviously, we've had uh, a kickoff or something like that where we scope a full year or at least six months ahead where we want to prioritize 
big chunks of things like we want to introduce a payment provider or we want to launch a new site featuring information rather than experience Seth. Uh, so but that gets chunked down into these two week periods and uh, what we tend to do is have everyone say their piece, right? So from the uh, kickoff or from the larger conference thing, what would you scope is inside of these bigger chunks of things. So everyone gets their chance to say, this entails this for me, this entails that for me, yada, yada. And so having a clear picture of that roadmap is always important, right? And then whenever we have those details in place, everyone will have their say in I would like to prioritize this, which will always uh, be out of their own uh, position, right? We have someone working with community and, uh, and marketing. We have someone working with back end and front end. And usually what happens is the tech team being three people is they decide whatever we do. Uh, so they have three votes, so they get to choose, basically. Uh, and then uh, randomly, I would pop in and say, well, I'm sorry, this is what we need to do because this is within the business roadmap and this is what the board says and stuff like that. So usually the tech, tech team decides and if that's fine with whatever the board uh, agrees with, then we do that. If it's not, then we have to do another round of priorities. So that's a very rough description of how we do it. Uh, usually we tend to have fun as well. We play a lot of ping pong and whoever uh, is lost in translations with their priorities, we go a little easy on them on ping pong. Sounds great. Right. So from my side, um, I've worked in production for a long time. That was actually my job role before I was CEO, and it's still one of my responsibilities now. So I have a tried and tested method for scoping projects in games. It's nothing fancy at all. It's the way that it's normally done. So obviously, normally with a project, you'd have different phases. So pre-production, production, and closing. And they require usually different approaches. But generally speaking, obviously, we'll start with the game concept, which is a whole process in itself. But once we have that, we usually sit down together with the team and as the game the game director and the producer as well, create a feature list. And this is like high level features that will be present in the game. And then we discuss to prioritize those so that we try and have the discussions around priority pretty early so that, you know, when you're in the period of production, that's the most intense or the, the most difficult, the decisions about those are already made and you're not having those conversations really late in the day. So we try to start on that basis. And then we'll do some ballpark estimations of how long those things are going to take. They're usually pretty inaccurate because it's very early days at that point. Uh, but then after that, we work in three-week sprints. So we'll take one of those features or a chunk of those features, break them down into manageable tasks, and then prioritize those as well within the sprint and do things that are you know doable within that three-week period. And then we do the usual thing of having the, the sprint planning where we plan all of that. And then at the end of the three weeks, we'll have the sprint review where we review the content in the game. So we check, you know, the progress against the tasks, but also how is it feeling to play and just check it from that holistic perspective where it's not just like ticking the boxes of the tasks. It's playing it as a, as well, trying to play it as a player would. And then we also have the sprint retrospective, which is more about evaluating our team working and how we're working as a team, which can sometimes affect how we do scoping and that kind of thing just you know getting feedback from the team about how things are working and yeah that's working pretty well i have like a high level plan with all of the various tasks features and all that kind of stuff and we make changes and because we've decided priorities we can de-scope pretty easily so yeah so far so good <laughs> we've still got the closing period of the game to come which is where the bug fixing is which is a little bit more tricky to predict 
Um, but yeah, prioritization obviously helps a ton with that. So that's generally how I do the scoping of projects. But our game's very, very ambitious. When you make your first game, it's always like the thing that you've always wanted to make. It's very hard to, you know, it's very hard to cut things. And I have to put my producer hat on and remember, hey, I am the producer. I must cut these things that, uh, you know, even sometimes are my ideas. So, yeah, I think that's important as well. But yeah, and how about you, Marcus? Well, um, for us, um, it, especially like discussing nowadays, I, I think that I am not in a producer role, but um, of course, we, we have several different game projects. And um, it's always interesting to see and hear the... Uh, the feedback basically because it seems like the grass is always greener on the other side so it seems always that oftentimes it might be that people were like hey the other project that had more pre-production time the one that didn't have as much you might think like hey it would have been so good if we had but then again on the other side could it be like actually if we didn't even if we had skipped even the whole pre-production maybe things would have gone smoother so it's always like you never know your malice may vary a lot um, the last time I was in a in a producer role was actually um, back in the day with my own company uh, in 2020 we did the game based on Vikings IP and um, that was a huge um, huge undertaking and we we also approached it so that we actually did weeklies and we had different um, uh, I'd say like feature value propositions so always um, considering especially because the feature plot is like the biggest thing it, no matter where you are like creative bunch of people can ideate so many things and eventually you all have your hypothesis like which can bring more value to the to the player especially and um in the end like what what is like my thesis in the end is that i feel that all the scoping should be uh, done with the audience in mind in the end like consider like what is essential it comes usually down to the core gameplay in the beginning but then again like because oftentimes it's so easy to kind of go into the metrics hunting if you launch it with the test audience and all that. But what what usually works well is like if you have a really crystal clear focus about like what is the game about uh, or the product per se and uh, and what what's what's the value proposition and then kind of make that uh, extrogate so that you really put all the effort to make that excel. And, uh, and that especially with the limited, because I feel that uh, oftentimes the best products come with a much smaller team. So if you start big with a big team, uh, the, the scoping is only going to usually elevate the, the issues of actually not focusing on the right stuff and uh, having just even more and more stakeholders. So in the, in the beginning, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really fond, like even really complex games can be ideated with, um, uh, with small teams. So. That's kind of like my sense, but definitely like there's not a golden rule as as things come and go. Every single project seems to be so unique. So it's always like you have to see the dynamics as well, like of the team, with where the core strengths of the team lie, because that could also affect a little bit of scoping. I was going to very much agree with like maintaining your focus. And one of the things that I think helps with that, and I've seen people do this, is have game pillars and product pillars. So because obviously when you when you like games, when you're a player yourself, you have all these cool ideas for various different games. But when you have game pillars or product pillars, you can decide whether it fits with that game or not. And you can really hone down into what the core of the game is rather than just making a bunch of cool unrelated things, which is the temptation at first. So I think that that definitely helps a lot to keep coming back to that focus and have them written down and have them somewhere so that you're always aware of what you're doing fits with the vision that you that you had. 
great that you mentioned that those because that's one oversight that I did not mention. But that's the only, pretty much the only mm-hmm. thing I think is that we actually have a company-wide pillars of game design. What, what mm-hmm. our like, no matter what genre it is, that these kind of core principles. So <laughs> definitely fan of that as well. well I, I absolutely love uh, uh, hearing your stories because we're we're building a consumer platform. It's a bit different, uh, obviously within the gaming uh, industry. Uh, so it's always uh, the second time for me on this podcast. I think it's amazing just to hear stories from other business leaders. And it's so interesting understanding a bit more about. I mean, it's it's a consumer platform, but it's for gamers. Uh, so. What we do love is what you're making, uh, and we're trying to put a layer on top of what you're making to have it be more interesting to engage with the content you're creating. So uh, I always find it super interesting. And one thing that we do a lot, having a live service product already, but knowing for a fact that it's way ways from finished uh it's it's a launch beta it, well it's a it's a live product, but internally we call it a beta because we know there's 350,000 things in our backlog still. Uh, so what we do and have the pleasure of doing uh, a lot is including the community within the scoping of the projects or the prioritization of the products. Uh, so we we have, a I think, a Discord channel with probably around two or 3,000 people that contribute in the prioritization of the features that we will be adding most soonish uh, and they have an eye we're very transparent with them with the backlog we have and for the timeline we have sort of ideated ourselves but if enough of the people uh, uh, within that community tells us that you should do something differently we will and that that has been an amazing insight for us that we're we're not creating a platform for us we're creating a platform for hopefully millions of people and then we should not only bring in the insights of or by people. Can I ask, like, how, because you hear things all the time, and not just within gaming, but in many industries where, like, oh, oops, it cost more money than we thought, and oops, it took, like, more time than we thought, and, you know, all of this. My question to you guys is, how much control do you think people have? Like, is it just, is it just inevitable that things will take longer or cost more money, or, or do you think people actually have more control but they just get a bit excited, especially like as Sally was talking about, it's a passion mm. industry, right? And you just get all these ideas and stuff. How much control do you guys think the industry has in terms of keeping the scope as it was originally intended? I think every game I've ever worked on has been delayed in some form, <laughs> which, <laughs> because I spent a lot of time in AAA, there's hundreds of people on the project. It's very, very hard to accurately scope a project. And it's just, there's so many dependencies. It, it's very hard to estimate stuff if you're doing very innovative things, if you're doing something for the first time. So I totally understand why games get delayed and why things take longer than you expect. And it's pretty much par for the course with games, honestly, because people are always trying to at least have a couple of USPs, a couple of things that haven't been tried. And so that's very hard to predict. Um, I have had a pro- couple of projects on time, which is <laughs> it's just cool. But then, uh, you know, many, many others that have fallen out of scope. But you kind of have an expectation that your initial ballpark is not going to be where you end up. And so I think as long as at a certain point you determine like, hey, this is when the launch date is going to be and we can't really move past that, that's when the, the kind of mindset changes, which is what I mentioned before with like the three phases of development. In pre-production, it's sort of floaty. Can, the launch date will definitely change at that point. But as you move towards the end of the project, you want to solidify things more. And then you want to 
put things in the cutting room floor. So I think it just depends on what stage of the project you're at, how big the project is, what you know, what the complexities are. It's pretty normal for gifts to get delayed now. So preferably not when you've announced them though. I've worked on games where the delays come before it's announced. So people are not upset, which is the preferable way to do it. So, you know, you're not setting expectations you can't meet, which I'd rather not do. So, yeah. Definitely great question, by the way, Melanie. Um, oftentimes, I also notice, like, your mileage usually is that you have to multiply the, <laughs> the, the estimates because oftentimes they do they much more time but there are some exceptions like i'm gonna share a story about um from 2020 like a seven year old game hill climb racing one the first game um i remember like the first early discussions about how we could improve things and it quickly came to mind that hey refactoring would be great um because it's an old game it would be much more fun to develop for if refactoring would be done and initially the producer shout out to him because he actually asked for a six months timeline. I was like, if you can make it in six months, perfect. Um, they actually finished in four months. <laughs> and after that, lots of great content, a 10 year old game now, over 10 years old game. And there's been like lots of new features added because it's again, much more fun to develop for because we have taken care of the product. But oftentimes, and I guess like this might be because of an um, older project and really crystal clear focus of the scope, what's going to be done. So that's why it's even easier to actually go down and below. But then again, like the more open or not uh, crystal clear, the focus of the project is like usually games that are quite open, broad. There might be like, hey, at last minute you come up with this great idea. Like for example, at Max Payne, they got the bullet time, which was actually in, in the beginning, like sort of an effect for some boss, but they were like, hey, let's explore this and, and make this actually the main thing in the game. And then that actually change to become a main feature of the game so that's those come much later so of course whenever there's a room for like that kind of an agile approach then the timeline will be more flexible as well all right i shouldn't comment too much probably because since we're not developing a game uh, again it becomes different uh but coming from finance uh deadlines were quite usually met uh, let's just say that and within you know, a small startup team. Obviously, I'm 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 always on my developers. You know, when can we get this? Can we get this next week or two weeks from now? Three months from now? I just want to get it out, right? Because I have no developer background. I don't know anything about what it means to put down code. Only tech savvy things I've learned I've done from running Ego. So now I can actually talk to the developers, understand what they're saying at least. So that's great. But uh, timeline seems to be you know that same for this if it's two months late who gives a shit uh seems to be a standard uh and uh i'm not against because obviously what happens is someone gets creative someone figures out a good idea that combines with the idea we had at first uh, at the first stage so uh usually what happens is we're creating a better product and obviously that takes longer time so it's it's not strange. Uh, it's it just seems to happen. Lovely jubbly. All right, so let's move on uh, to Victor and your question, please, sir. Yes. So, how do you rally the troops and bring them into feel in the center of the journey you are uh, embarking on? That being a startup, and that being creating a game or cool project. Uh, so, some context uh, to that question uh, is uh, 
for us, we're running a startup. Obviously, uh, within the esports space, not making millions yet. We are doing so with uh, other people's money, uh, and um, at certain times, uh, it becomes crunching close to whenever I I will have a hard time paying out salaries, and that can be a bump in the road for motivation. Uh, obviously, uh, and other things also working as bumps in the road whenever you fail, uh, which you'll be doing tens of thousands of times on that journey. How do you bring up that spirit again, keep them working toward the goal? Yeah, so I can answer that. Um, there's a few different things for me. I A lot of people say, you know, trust is earned and that that's, that's their philosophy. But for me, I tend to be trusting people at the beginning. I, I give them the opportunity to ha- take responsibility. I trust the people that I've hired. I trust our recruitment process to have hired the right people. And so I take a trust first approach so that people feel like they have the responsibility, they have decision-making power. I, you know, I'm I'm giving them that that level of respect and there's that mutual respect from doing that in the beginning. And generally speaking, that goes pretty well, I think. People feel like they don't need to prove themselves, they don't need to do anything specific. They to me, you know, specifically. And that I think that just improves collaboration and the the sense of team working. Um, I'm generally just very honest and I think that's super important like I think in the beginning some CEOs feel uncomfortable with sharing company details or things about the company finances and things like that with with staff and with team members but I think it's very important to truth for them to truthfully and honestly know where you are know where you stand and again that brings into the idea of having that level of trust with people to have that information and to you know process that as they as they want to and make decisions about what they they want to do based on that to that information that you have i think that's very important and so i'm just very honest about where we're at in the company what opportunities we have what risks uh, on the horizon i think it's worse if you have a big risk you don't tell people and that risk comes to pass and then people are surprised or shocked like that's not a good way to treat people that's not a good way to to run a business and um, generally speaking, I think it's good that you know people know exactly what's going on, and then just having good spaces for feedback as well. So I, I mentioned earlier we have the sprint retrospective, which is the place where people can say, you know, hey, I'm not sure if this process is going well, or the sprint review where people can say, hey, I don't like this about the game, or I want to change this thing, or how do we go about that? Because sometimes it's difficult, in, especially for people who are new to the company, to just show up and be like, hey, I don't like this, I don't like that. If you give people a space to do that it then becomes just a natural part of the process and people start doing that outside of the meetings as well. Um, and yeah, just building relationships with people over time and getting to know people. When you've worked with someone for years and years, you can be honest and you can say things in a certain way and no one's going to be up, upset about how you've said it. They, they, they know that you're a good person or they know that you you want the best for them and that obviously helps a whole ton as well. And I think that that is the, the thing that helps people stick around when things are not going to plan. Um, I think, yeah just being honest and trusting is is the best approach and that's the one i take and it seems to have gone well <laughs> so yeah that's me actually actually i double on the honesty on the i say like genuinely caring caring about everyone mm-hmm. um that really comes across on the especially like being transparent is really important uh, and um, another thing is of course like painting the picture like where you're going so one thing is like especially like oftentimes might be that um it takes a while to hit those milestones so one really important thing is to celebrate the small wins like the mm-hmm. little victories 
that's um, to keep team spirit up. And um, and oftentimes it can be like, especially what back in the day, we've been doing also like doing some internal playtesting stuff, uh, enjoying kind of giving open feedback so everybody's heard. Um, and also, um, especially at fingers of the QA, like a really, really uh, integrated into everything. So we really care for the quality because it's much easier when you fix things uh, beforehand than pushing out them on the live product. So I'd say like that's also when you, no matter which um, which uh, team you're from, you have the possibility to actually contribute or uh, innovate. That's really important. Uh, on the other hand as well, um, we're an independent company that's owned by the employees as well. So um, it's really, it really changes um, when um, you're not after investor money to fund the growth. We feel really lucky to be like cash flow positive and then invest that into the product, but also invest that and distribute that to the personnel. So I think that's also like what kind of a culture you do. So I believe like trust and is and actual mutual respect for everyone is really the key. But then also considering that everybody kind of has a, has a clear focus, also understanding like how it's going to be turning out for them if they're part of a really big success. So being really transparent all the time about that. Those those are the main main things. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks, Ali. Uh, I was to uh, start with seconding uh, everything you've said. Uh, I think transparency goes a long way. Something that I myself have to remind myself uh, having the login uh, to our economics system. Uh, I have the information, uh, but uh, sharing that with the team uh, is obviously something that is important. Also celebrating the small stuff. Um, for us, we we very recently launched our first monetization opportunity and our first client, obviously super big for us. Uh, being a volume-based business, one customer doesn't pay our salary, so we need to do better, or we need to do more, but just reaching that first one is really, really important and kind of celebrating all that and doing the small things in having uh, ping-pong tournaments, uh, having, you know, uh, actually quitting at three on a Friday, going to grab, play some video games uh, at the local internet cafe or whatever it might be those small things usually tend to go a long way uh is my uh understanding of the team's mood at least Uh, so try and be you know very uh uh also listen for that mood what what's going on within team is there someone not having a great day uh in that case why is that and can we do something about that because usually it's not you know, investments of millions of euros or millions of hours to fix the problem. It might be something related to their cat or whatever, which is very fixable. Uh, so uh, not letting that fester within the, uh, within team members and bringing it up and fostering a, a transparent ways of work within the team where it's always applauded and okay to give feedback and show stuff that's not necessarily okay for the second. Uh, I think it's also very important. Uh, us being five Swedes, we tend to want to fester with uh, you know stuff that's not great because we don't want to bring it up and we don't want to feedback anyone that could be uh, be sad about it. But uh, we have to remind ourselves again, being a company that actually is running based on investors' money, it's someone else's money that we're trying to build something cool with. And uh, having people not feeling too well and not being able to perform is not 
the way to build it. So, um, yeah, uh, I think it's an important question because absolutely the case for us is the team is everything. Uh, if we don't have a team, we have a platform that's nobody's going to visit. So uh, the team is everything. Um, so thanks for sharing your thoughts uh, on that. Yeah, just to... to second that as well like sometimes my team can be absolutely savage with their feedback to me like they yeah. they do not hold back but i'd much much rather that than people be silently annoyed or upset about something you know i have quarterly one-to-ones with everybody so i get to sit down with them we'll go have coffee we'll have that proper space to talk one-to-one with people um but generally because we have that kind of relationship i've i've heard everything <laughs> which is good you know, you want people yeah. to be brutally honest with you. And my oh, team yeah. definitely, definitely do that, which is much more preferable to like people just complaining and not, and you finding out on the grapevine or something like that. It's, mm. you know, people trust, trust you when they can really bluntly tell you how they feel about something. So I think that's a good thing. And it's really good about the, the celebrating the small wins and the milestones and everything like that. You know, we've done some cool stuff. Like we went to take the whole team to see the Mario movie. That was really cool. And, you know, we've just had, celebrations like that after because it, it breaks things up as well you know, when you're working towards a milestone you're very focused on the work at, and the task at hand and you need those periods in the day where you just or those periods over the months where you where you're breaking it up with something fun and something cool and been like looking back and being like oh yeah we did all that stuff you know i think that's really important as well you, you're totally right about that I, I have to also add that i always tell the team and everyone that the brutally honest feedback that's the best thing because mm-hmm. usually that means that mm-hmm. nobody cares they're not yeah, they're actually yeah. saying mm-hmm. because they truly care to make the best possible product. They wouldn't say those things like they say them out of love. And that's kind of like, you mm-hmm. have to kind of contrast that. Okay. They might be harsh to <laughs> receive, but they are out of yeah. love. And, uh, and also like the team, team thing. I have to add also one really cool thing that we did because I thought well, all of us, our work is pretty much in front of computers. So we actually went to borrow those huge huge boats on the on the river and there you have to synchronize the rowing and that's kind of, like <laughs> one of the best things because nobody if if even one member is not in sync perfect sync then things are not going well so that was really like a, one of the best things for team building <laughs> all right and then finally can we go to sally and your question please yeah so my question was about dealing with setbacks when you're part of a startup or part of a business obviously that's something that we've all experienced multiple setbacks i'm sure so it's about dealing with what what do you do when those things happen and what's your approach what's your attitude how do you take care of yourself and the team in those moments so yeah um shall we start with victor then sure uh so uh, obviously the volume and amount of uh, mistakes and failures are obviously far greater than the small amount of success you you, you kind of uh, embark on on that journey. It's part of the game, right? Building a startup, mm-hmm. you, that's what you learn from. And uh, I think one, the important, well, the baseline is always what can we learn from this? So uh, we're not one of those companies that uh, huddle up everyone and talk about the mistake that uh, someone told me about and applaud it. Uh, probably we should because basically that's, you know, is a learning process and nobody in the world knows how to build the best ego except the best ego learning as we build it. So that is the, the approach you have to take. Uh, toward it. Uh, I mean, some setbacks obviously hurt more than others. Um, 
if it's been long sales cycles and you end up not getting the account or whatever it might be, uh, obviously those hurt. And that's when you pack up shop for the day, go and grab some beers and just chat it out. Uh, at least that's what we tend to do. Uh, or there's smaller ones, which um, the important thing I think is just to have them be spoken and be learned from. Uh, and we're a super small team, so it's very easy. I mean, having a few setbacks a day, we tend to tell everyone about it. What's because we always know what's going on in everyone's day to day. So we'll be asking otherwise, you know, what happened with that thing or how did that end up doing? So everyone knows that there's no hiding from mistakes. They will get out there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's quite important actually to, to have the kind of culture where that becomes fine and everyone in the team becomes fine with sharing that. Because if we don't learn from it, then then it is a failure for sure. Uh, so that's kind of my our, our mentality in handling it. I have to double on that because I, I honestly feel that failures are mere stepping stones to success. You have to, you're bound to fail if you want to succeed. Uh, the key is especially like learning from those mistakes. Uh, that's really big. And uh, it's funny, this this year we actually did this really uh, smooth scale test uh, of an internal and um, external in an invite only kind of C-level um, game event that focuses on sharing, sharing about uh, failures. <laughs> in a kind of like a protective um, small scale not public event uh, by any uh, definition so around less than 100 executives uh, visiting our headquarters we call it way forward forum so basically the goal and aiming at the like hey these are just mere stepping so that we're going forward and having round tables and that's something well uh, I, I feel that kind of speaks of the cultures and in games generally like we we all have the same mentality about like, hey, if you don't stop doing mistakes, you probably are not even pushing enough. So exactly. that's one of the key yeah. things. And, uh, and one other thing is like what I feel that is really important also, like because we are we have a lot of, especially in the Nordics, and well, I'd say like overall, I've noticed the the culture is expanding. Like people even in the state, I I visited Brazil this year, and they also kind of share quite openly even um, a lot of things so I think that reaching out for the peer support sharing those stories not, not every single mistake has to be done by yourself but actually like and learn a lot uh, just with those so it, it, one thing that I'd say is really important as a startup founder also is that uh, establish your kind of like go to people um, your peer network that with whom you can every now and then just drop a message even like hey have you ever faced this kind of a thing? Or, hey, have you heard about this? And uh, should we have a brief call? Because that's that's another thing as well. Like That, that is truly valuable. Um, yeah, definitely echo, echo that. I was just going to say, I run a Discord for company founders and the amount of help and support and guidance. And we have a vent channel for like, if we're like, oh, I've messed this up, I really need help. That's That's been totally invaluable. And I think it's definitely a learning, learning curve because sometimes in the beginning, you don't want to tell everyone all, oh, I've messed this up, I've messed that. You think people will judge you, but they just don't. You definitely get a sense of camaraderie from doing that, especially if it's a mistake someone else has also made. They're just like, oh, yeah, I've done that as well. This is how I solved that. And I just think that's really nice. You're totally right about that. Yeah, and um, one addition to that also is like some things might be that it's much better to share and discuss with peers, among peers, instead of just 
dragging everything on your team and all like within mm-hmm. the company because not everything has to be like everybody has their own <laughs> own amount of those so we have to also think like not like just as I'm, as a reflection that earlier like about the transparency like we don't transparency doesn't mean then to the extent of actually pushing everything mm-hmm. and actually dragging not too much on two people either yeah yeah definitely Being, so yeah. empathy mm-hmm. is i think quite important yeah 100% agree with that I was going to say similar basically I think you're right about not trying to put everything on the team in terms of things that are your problems to solve and things that are you know communication I think when you go to the team with a problem you should have taken time to reflect on the plan b plan c so that you're not like oh there's this and I don't know what I'm going to do it's more like this has happened I've taken time to reflect on what we should do and these are the options, and this is how it could go. Um, in the past, I've definitely been a bit more like, ah, there's lots of fires, I need to put out all the fires, instead of taking the actual time to prioritize the fires. So that's been a learning curve as well, but definitely taking the time to strategize, reflect, and then present is probably the better way. And just maintaining a sense of perspective as well. Sometimes I'm just like, at the end of the day, I'm making a video game. How how wrong could it really go, you know? Um <laughs> We care very much yeah. about what the players think and how they feel about things, but I've I've known people in much more, I guess, life or death <laughs> scenarios with their jobs. My mum was a nurse for like 30 years, so her bad day versus my bad day looked very, very different. So try and maintain yeah. that sense of perspective when everything, sometimes it feels like everything is going wrong, but then I try and think, okay, this is not as bad as what it really could be. It's not the end of the world and just, you know, taking the time. Uh, to strategize, I think that's a good way. But yeah, makes total sense. So briefly, um, a distancing about the issue also, like not trying to solve everything it doesn't have to be solved on the same same moment. So for me, especially like considering like how to how myself dealing with those things. Sometimes it's just like distancing for the day, uh, spending my mm-hmm. time with my four year old daughter, and then mm-hmm. next somehow it just clarifies your thinking, and then like maybe next next day everything is already list are clear like having those ideas as you mentioned like a b c and, and mm-hmm. then discussing and maybe throughout participation of the whole team you might become more aware like hey maybe the plan e that didn't even exist in your head is the what the goal yeah yeah and uh, i th- i think a sentence that has really festered with me uh this i think was a speech some startup founder had and he, he was very uh pro to failures and he was uh, there was this one sentence where he said like the worst thing that can happen when you try something new is, is that you learn something and and I think that is great and I think that is the mentality with a lot of startup people because uh, that kind of culture is, has a widespread and I think that's super amazing that, that that's the case and, and also trying to um, zoom out, right? Because a lot of the failures we've done has become the greatest successes on our journey, right? Because uh, we thought we were building a white label solution for brands to do cool stuff with integrations. Uh, and that ended up not being the case. And that's great because we learned what we're doing instead. So we've learned so much about our own product, trying stuff that ended up being not as good as planned um and that really goes to show like you don't really know what you're building i I mean maybe for a game it's different uh, but 
we're, we're, we've learned so much about how to use our platform to create great experiences from trying different things. And we are so far now from the truth we thought we had a couple of years back. So it's in, in no shape or form the same platform that we're building today. And that hadn't, wouldn't have happened if we weren't trying. So uh, within your greatest mistakes probably lies the biggest treasures. Is something along those lines he said, and it ended up being the case for us for now, at least. <laughs> no, that's lovely. So, before we end the podcast today, just want to say a massive thank you to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. So, on the podcast today, we've had Victor Maisie uh, from Ego App, uh, Marcos Bastala from Vinkasoft, and Sally Blake from Silent Games. If you are hiring for new roles within gaming or you're looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message as well. My name is Melanie and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at melanie.lindsay at evolution-nordics.com or you can visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash SE. Thanks again to all of our guests. Thank you for listening and we hope you can join us again next time.